Mark chapter 7. We'll, we'll start in verse 24. He got up and departed from there to the region of Tyre and Sidon. He entered a house and did not want anyone to know it, but he could not escape notice. Instead, immediately after hearing about him, a woman whose little daughter had an unclean spirit came and fell at his feet. Now, the woman was Greek, a Syrophoenician by birth, and she kept asking him to drive the demon out of her daughter. He said to her, Allow the children to be satisfied first, because it isn't right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. But she replied to him, Lord, even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. Then he told her, Because of this reply, you may go. The demon has gone out of your daughter. When she went back to her home, she found her child laying on the bed, and the demon was gone. Again, leaving the region of Tyre and uh, Excuse me, again, leaving the region of Tyre, he went by way of Sidon to the Sea of Galilee, through the region of the Decapolis. They brought to him a deaf man who had also had a speech difficulty and begged Jesus to lay his hand on him. So he took him away from the crowd privately. After putting his fingers in the man's ears and spitting, he touched his tongue. Then looking up to heaven, he sighed deeply and said to him, Ephatha, that is, be opened. Immediately his ears were opened, his speech difficulty was removed, and he began to speak clearly. Then he ordered them to tell no one, but the more he would order them, the more they would proclaim it. They were extremely astonished and said, He has done everything well. He even makes deaf people hear, and people unable to speak talk. Let's pray. God, we come to you this morning. I thank you for these words, and I pray that we would get something from them. I pray that the Holy Spirit would just uh, be among us right now, that we'd block out all of distractions and worries and things of this world, dear Lord, that maybe our minds have been focused on up to this point, that we would get rid of those things, dear Lord, that you would keep us free from those distractions of the enemy. I pray that you'd give me the words to, to preach and teach this morning. I pray that you would open our hearts to hear. And let this be a word that we can get something from that will have an impact in our life, dear Lord, that we can grow in you. And God, I pray that if there's one who's never known Jesus Christ this morning, who doesn't have their faith and trust in him, that today they can see just how great he is in these scriptures, dear Lord. And I ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, uh, we pick up this story uh, after Jesus last week had, had this interaction with some Pharisees and scribes. Now, these Pharisees and scribes were coming against Jesus because of Jesus' disciples and the fact that they did not wash their hands. And in that story, the, the Pharisees weren't really concerned about hearing what Jesus had to say. They were, they were really trying to stick it to, to Jesus. They were always trying to find something that Jesus was doing wrong. And they thought they were going to catch Jesus and trip him up. But as we saw in the text, Jesus actually called them out because they were not really following the Lord. They were doing a lot of religious stuff. But Jesus told them they were missing the point. And even though they may have said the right things, 
Their heart really wasn't focused on the Lord. And I think it's important that we see the context of what happened before uh, these verses today so we maybe can understand a little better what's going on in these verses today. Now, as we've seen with many of the things in Mark up to this point, there's also a parallel version of this story, and it's found in Matthew chapter 15. I'll reference that a couple of times today, but we probably won't go through and read it because it's very similar, but there's a few differences. But I would encourage you to go back and read that for yourself. Uh, Matthew chapter 15 covers the same uh, theme that we talked about last week with the Pharisees and then continues on in the same order of what we're talking about today. And so after Jesus left from this discussion with these Pharisees, it says he got up and departed from there uh, to the region of Tyre and Sidon. Now, if you're familiar with geography of the, uh, of the land of Israel, uh, it would have been up, Tyre and Sidon was kind of up the coast of the Mediterranean Sea. And so it would have been to the northwest, kind of at the real top corner, uh, right up against the edge of the Mediterranean Sea up there. And this was the region uh, that Jesus was in. And it says that Jesus entered a house and did not want anyone to know it. Now, I don't know why he didn't want anyone to know it. Uh, maybe he was just trying to lay low and didn't want to draw a lot of attention to himself. We see that throughout Jesus' ministry. He was never one that was really big about drawing a lot of attention to what he was doing. Uh, it may have just been that he wanted a break. Uh, I don't think that that's unreasonable to think. If you remember back just in chapter 6, after the apostles and Jesus heard that John the Baptist had been beheaded, they got in the boat, headed across the sea, and they were looking for rest. But, if you remember the story, when they got to the other side of the sea, there were people there, and it doesn't sound as though they ever got that rest. And so it could be that from that time on that they had left, ever how many days or weeks this had been, uh, looking for rest, that maybe they still haven't gotten any. Uh, it doesn't tell us why Jesus wanted to be unnoticed here, but those are a couple of reasons that may be why Jesus wanted to go unnoticed. It may just be uh, that he needed a little bit of quiet time. That's not hard for me to understand. When there's lots of people around and there's lots going on, uh, while it may be fun to have them around, uh, it's also fun when there's a little quiet time. Now, praise the Lord, we had the privilege to have six little girls spend the night at our house last weekend, and it was a real blessing, and they were pretty good, but they are loud, and it was good to have them, but it was also good to get a little quiet whenever they left. And uh, praise the Lord for Jennings and Dana, I don't see how they do it. They do it every day. And, uh, but, but we all know what it's like. You ever go somewhere to a ball game or some kind of event where there's lots of people? It's fun to be there, but it's loud, and it's noisy, and it's rambunctious, and Oh, when you get to kind of escape that and get to the quiet and things settle down, feels pretty good. Maybe that's exactly what was going on uh, with, with Jesus here. Maybe as much as he loved the people, maybe he was just seeking some time in the quiet. But he could not escape notice. Now, this was true of Jesus pretty much everywhere he went. He really could not escape the people noticing him, and so there was no rest to be found or there was uh, no, no way for him to enter into this house uh, in secret, wherever the house may have been. Instead, verse 25, immediately after hearing about him, a woman whose little daughter had an unclean spirit came and fell at his feet. Now, this is something that's probably easy for us to understand, especially those of you mothers out there. The fact that there was a mother and her daughter was sick. Her daughter was possessed by a demon. She had an unclean spirit, it says here in this first part, uh, but goes on to say at the end of this little passage, 
that she was demon-possessed. This little girl had a demon, and her mom wanted her little girl to be made well. She would have been willing probably to do anything possible to make her child well, as you mothers in here would do the same. Uh, You can probably relate to that. There have been times that you have had a child that was sick or that was in trouble, and, and when there was something you could do, you were doing it. Sometimes there are things you just you couldn't do. There was nothing you could do. You were doing all you could do. And this woman here had probably done that. She'd probably done all she could do to help her daughter to see that she was delivered from this demon that was tormenting her. But her daughter was demon-possessed, but she had heard of Jesus, no doubt, because as Jesus enters this area, here comes this woman, and she falls at Jesus' feet. Lord Jesus, would you help my daughter? Now, this is not uncommon for us in Scripture to see people who hear of Jesus, who come to Jesus, people who come from far and wide because they know what Jesus can do. They've heard that he's driving demons out of people. They've heard that he's healing the sick. Uh, They've heard that he's raising people from the dead. So when Jesus enters a place, we understand why he cannot go unnoticed because he is doing miraculous works, the likes of which no one has ever seen before up to this point. So this woman comes to Jesus, but this woman, uh, we see a little more about her in the next verses. Verse 26. Now, the woman was Greek, a Syrophoenician by birth. Now, we see here uh, a lot of words to describe this woman. The fact that it says she was a Greek may mean that she was a, a Roman citizen, uh, that she had, had become a Roman citizen. It may just mean that she simply spoke the Greek language. It says she was a Syrophoenician by birth, which is the term that we only see here in all of Scripture, which means that she uh, was... It, it, Perhaps her parents were from Syria, uh, or perhaps she was from Syria in some way and was raised in Phoenicia, which was in this area where Tyre and Sidon was. Uh, These terms are really hard to explain exactly how they are, and even the research I've done this week, it's hard to figure out exactly what's meant there uh, by a Syrophoenician, other than uh, her life had something to do with being from the area of Syria and living in the area of Phoenicia, or perhaps her birth because of her parents, uh, maybe one was Syrian, maybe one was Phoenician. Uh, regardless of, uh, of learning these big words here that she was a Greek Syrophoenician, it may be best and easiest for us to recognize that she was a Gentile. That's really the point that Mark is making here. This was a Gentile woman. It was not a Jewish woman who was coming to Jesus. Now, in the passage that we read last week, It was Jewish people who were coming to Jesus. The Pharisees and the scribes that were coming to Jesus there were Jewish people. This woman was a Gentile woman. Now, we see Gentiles and Jews both come to Jesus uh, throughout the Scriptures. This is not uncommon to see a Gentile woman or a Gentile person come to Jesus. There's other uh, examples of that. But Jesus' response to this woman is one that may make us scratch our head. Because here this woman comes and she asks and she keeps asking for Jesus to deliver her daughter. Now in Matthew's account, in Matthew chapter 15, we see a little more detail and that the, the disciples with Jesus say, Look, Jesus, tell this woman to go on. She keeps aggravating us. And Jesus is kind of ignoring the woman, not really paying her any attention. And when we put Matthew's account and Mark's account together, we get a little more fuller picture of, of what's going on here. But this woman, this Gentile woman, is coming to Jesus and she is seeking Jesus for help, which is a good thing to do. And here's what Jesus says to her. Here's the tough part. Verse 27. 
He said to her, Allow the children to be satisfied first, because it isn't right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. Now, of all the things that Jesus could have called this woman, he calls her a dog. Now, this is a hard thing to wrap our head around, or at least it is for me. Why in the world would Jesus call this woman a dog? It wasn't uncommon in those times for the Jewish people to look down on the Gentile people, for the Jewish people to think they were a little better. After all, the people of Israel were God's children. They were God's chosen people. And so the Gentiles, they were just kind of scums. They were dogs. Uh, it would not have been uncommon probably for someone of uh, the Jewish community to use a term such as this to describe a Gentile person. But why would Jesus use this term. And in what way was he using this term? Well, I'll tell you, this is a tough one. I have read a lot of different, different scholars and their thoughts on this particular topic and on this word used, and I'm going to tell you, I have yet to find an answer that satisfies me as to why Jesus used this word. Some would say, that boy, when Jesus said it, his heart was, he was really condemning this woman. Get away from me, you dog. Well, that doesn't really seem like Jesus's character. Although maybe so, we just don't know. We know he called her a dog, but we don't know with which tone he used when he called her a dog. Perhaps he was sympathetic to her when she came to him. Perhaps he was saying, uh, uh, saying this in a way that, boy, he wanted to help her. But it's not right. It's not right for me to give to you when I've uh, not given to my own children. When he speaks of his children and of the dogs here, he's speaking of the difference between the people of Israel and the Gentiles. When he speaks to, look, it's not right for me to give to the dogs first before giving to my children, he's saying, look, I've come to the lost sheep of Israel. That's what we see in Matthew chapter 15 account, uh, Matthew 15's account of this. Jesus says in that account, Matthew records that Jesus said, but look, first I've come for my lost sheep, the, the lost children of Israel. This is who I've come to first. This is who has to be fed first. And here he says, look, it's not right for me to take from the children and give to the dogs. Some would say that he's referring to dogs here in a, in, in a kinder way of just an old mangy dog. Maybe you've seen a dog come by and just nasty, dirty old dog, and you say, oh, that old mangy mutt. Uh, maybe some would say Jesus is, is saying that of this woman. Or maybe he's not. Because we all probably have dogs or have had dogs that are very dear to us, that are our pets. Now, the actual Greek word used here is a word that means little dog, which some take to imply that perhaps he's speaking of a pet here. After all, it's an animal that's in the house that's eating from a, from a table, so perhaps it's like a family member. It's not a human being, but it's still a dog, and it's still uh, being took care of. And some would say the fact that the word actually means little dog here, what Jesus is saying is that she's like a pet, a lovable pet, somebody that's not really a child, but somebody that's very loving. Well, that may be what Jesus means, but I really don't know. Most of your translations there probably just say dog. However, if you have a New King James Version, it will say little dog. Almost every other translation, however says the word dog. What was Jesus' heart when he called her a dog? And what tone did he use when he used this language? Well, I really don't know the answer to that. However, though, I do know that Jesus did not sin. And so by calling her a dog here, it was not sinful. Now, I don't think that we should say, well, Jesus called people dogs, so next time I see somebody I don't like, I'm gonna call them a dog. Well, I don't think we need to use this as a proof text to go around calling people dog because I think 
regardless of whether why Jesus called her a dog or how he called her a dog and what language and tone he used, I don't know. But I think there's a bigger picture to be had from the whole context of this chapter for what Jesus was doing here. And I think we see that as we continue to read along. Now listen to her response here. But she replied in verse 20, 28, but she replied to him, Lord, even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. Now she doesn't say, well, Lord, I'm, I'm not a dog. Who are you to say that to me? She didn't say that at all. She recognized, but Lord, even the dogs under the table get to eat the crumbs of the children. Or in Matthew's account, even get to eat the crumbs that fall from the master's table. Now this woman was <laughs> persistent. Now, there's a big difference here between this Gentile woman and the Jews that Jesus had addressed in the verses before that we've looked at the last couple of weeks. When they heard Jesus speak, they were offended. If you go back and read Matthew chapter 15 account of Jesus uh, interacting with these religious uh, people, these Pharisees and scribes, whenever Jesus spoke the truth to them, and told them, hey, you're in the wrong. It says in Matthew's account that his disciples came to him and said, do you not know that you have just offended these Pharisees? Now they heard the truth, which was a hard truth, and they left offended. They also never referred to Jesus as Lord. His own people that he had come to save that should have been looking for the Messiah, they were looking for a way to trap him. When they came to Jesus, they were not looking for Jesus' help. They were looking to see Jesus destroyed, and obviously they did not view him as Lord. On the flip side, a contrast occurs here between that story and this. Now you have a Gentile woman, who would have been considered the lower class by the Jews, who is coming to Jesus, and she refers to Jesus as Lord. Well, she's already smarter than the Pharisees and the scribes were. She already obviously is able to discern, to discern a little better than they were because she refers to Jesus as Lord. And even when Jesus speaks something that may come across as harsh by calling her a dog, she doesn't leave offended. When the Jews heard the truth, they left offended. When this woman heard the truth, she said, But Lord, even still, even if I'm a dog, the dogs get to eat the crumb of the children. Now this is a stark contrast between what happened with the Jews in the verses before and what happened with this Gentile. Let's see what Jesus' response here. Then he told her, Because of this reply, you may go. The demon has gone out of your daughter. When she went back to her home, she found her child lying on the bed, and the demon was gone. Now, isn't that interesting? Even Jesus, is, Jesus acknowledges here. He says, look, this is the right response. Because of your reply, because of your response, or in Matthew's account, because of your faith, may it be how it was asked for you. Because of your faith, let it be done. We're not going to worry about the lights. If they go off, well, I'm just going to keep preaching. It's all right. Just keep listening. No matter, uh, no, no matter what had taken place up to this point, Jesus recognized that what this woman said was right and that she had faith. The Pharisees and the scribes before had no faith. And that's the difference. And that may be why Jesus used this language. He may have used this language to present this story to us and to his disciples and to the other Jews in a way that they would recognize there's a difference here. 
Maybe he used this language so that this whole event could take place. He may have made the statement to the woman so that she could make the statement she was going to make so that her faith could be seen and Jesus may be using this to make a point here to show us what he really cares about. In the case of the scribes and the Pharisees, well, what did they care about? Well, they cared about their religious tradition. And Jesus said, look, you honor me with your lips, but your heart is far from me. Here, on the flip side of this right here, we have a woman who, with a Gentile, would probably probably not have been one who would have been one that would have honored Jesus with her lips, at least not been taught to do so. But here, yet and still, she is doing just that by referring to him as Lord. And now, the difference between her and the Pharisees is that she had faith where they did not. Now, it is true, and we can't deny this, uh, it's, it's undeniable through Scripture that Jesus did come first to the Jew and then to the Gentiles. We cannot deny this. This is an undeniable thing. Uh, but by saying so, Jesus was not saying that he loved the Jews more than the Gentiles. It was just simply that God had chosen the people of Israel. For all those years, God had strived with the people of Israel. He had tried to get them to follow him, and they had continued to reject Jesus, to miss Jesus, to continue to sin against the Lord, to continue to be disobedient. All that time, they had missed it. And now God is sending his own son, Jesus Christ, is this one final attempt saying, okay, You've missed the prophets, you've missed the signs, you've missed the wonders, you've missed the commands, you've missed everything I've given you. I'm giving you my son. There's nothing left to give. This is the best that there can be. If you reject him, there is coming no other who's coming for you. And so Jesus was coming to the lost sheep of Israel to try to get them to enter into the kingdom. But the kingdom was not just for the lost sheep of Israel. Even though it came to the lost sheep of Israel first, it was not limited to the lost sheep of Israel. Even when Jesus sent his disciples out, he said, First, uh, go to the people of Israel. Don't go to any non-Jewish towns. Only go to the people of Israel. It's not that Jesus was picking favorites or, or saying that the Gentiles were worse. He was simply saying, These are my chosen people. I must go to them first. And then once they've heard, then everyone else will have equal opportunity to enter into my kingdom. And that's exactly what has happened. Uh, we know that Jesus did not discriminate against Gentiles. We may would say that just based on this scripture. Well, Jesus must have discriminated against Gentiles. He must have not loved them. Or else why would he have spoken in this way? Well, we know that that's not true because in Matthew chapter 8, we see a wonderful story of a centurion who comes to Jesus and the centurion says, Jesus, my servant is sick. He needs help. Would you come or, or would you heal him? And Jesus said, all right, I'm going to come to him. Jesus didn't ask any questions. He didn't say, you crazy Gentile, you nasty old Gentile, get away from me. He said, I'm going to do as you ask. And the centurion said, no, Lord, you don't even need to come. Just speak the word because you are one with power and authority and I know if you speak the word my servant will be healed and Jesus said of this Gentile you have more faith than anybody in Israel I haven't seen such a faith of all the people in Israel now that's a good a good text it's evident for, to us that Jesus did not discriminate against the Gentiles. He did, not, uh, he did not desire to not help the Gentiles. He did not think of them as a lower class citizen because we have an example where he didn't even question when the man came and said, come help me. He said, all right, I'm coming to help you. 
And then of all things, Jesus says of this centurion, this Gentile, your faith is greater than all that I've seen in Israel. Whoa, what a statement to make. And I believe that that may be exactly what Jesus is doing here. Hot on the heels of these Pharisees who had no faith or trust in Jesus comes this Gentile who, who, who recognized Jesus for who he was, who recognized him as Lord, and had enough faith that they were going to be persistent to seek him. And that may be the point he was trying to make here for us who are reading it today, as well as his apostles who would have been with him at the time. He may have been trying to let people know, here's what matters. If you come to me, if you have faith in me, if you seek me, if you acknowledge me as Lord, that is what matters. And Jesus died on the cross and his blood was shed to save Jews and Gentiles. Any who will come to Jesus Christ will be saved. And we will not be saved by any other means other than the blood of Jesus Christ. We will not be saved unless we, like this woman, come to Jesus and say, Lord, I need your help because I am sick and I am a nasty, dirty sinner. And Lord, I need you to heal me. And when we come to Jesus, we can know that he will be faithful to hear our prayers and our call to him. Let's read a little further. Verse 31. Again, leaving the region of Tyre, he went by way of Sidon to the Sea of Galilee through Decapolis, excuse me, through the region of the Decapolis. They brought to him a deaf man who also had a speech difficulty and begged Jesus to lay hands on him. So he took him away from the crowd privately. After putting his fingers in the man's ears and spitting, he touched his tongue. So this is more of the same of what we've seen Jesus doing. People bring this deaf man who has a speech problem to Jesus and say, look, would you heal him? So Jesus takes him off privately, and Jesus does some weird stuff. I mean, that's the only way to describe it, that he, he puts his fingers in his ears, and he spits, and then he touches his tongue. I don't know if he spit on his hand and touched his tongue. I don't know when it says he spit and touched his tongue. Well, if he had his hands in his ears, what did he spit on? Did he just spit into the air? Did he spit on the man? Uh, what, did he, what did he do? How did he do this? That's a, that's a weird thing. And why did Jesus even do this? Sometimes Jesus would just speak and it was done. We just saw it in the verses before. He didn't even have to go see the girl he was demon-possessed. He told, he told the mom, all right, go. Let it be as you've asked. You know, I've, I've healed her. She got home and the girl was healed. So Jesus doesn't have to do anything fancy. He doesn't have to jump around and act crazy and spit and do stuff with fingers and make mud and put in people's eyes. But sometimes he did those things. Now, Jesus wasn't crazy. He did those things for a reason, and we may not know the exact reason, but we know that he did those things. I have a theory, and it may not be a right theory, but my theory is that maybe he did these physical acts for this man so that this man would know that through the touching of Jesus, that is what made him well. Because this man was deaf, and so he couldn't, he couldn't hear what Jesus had said. If Jesus was saying, all right, I'm going to heal you, well, he might not have been able to hear that. But by having Jesus touched him and do these things that Jesus did, it may be that Jesus did such a thing so that this deaf man who could not speak would know without a shadow of a doubt that it was at the touch of Jesus Christ that he was healed. And there was nothing else that would occur except for the fact that, look, Jesus touched me, and when he did, I could hear, and when he did, I could speak. I would say that maybe Jesus did it for the other people who were around to hear, but it said it took him away privately. 
So maybe it was just Jesus and the man. Maybe it was Jesus and the apostles and the man. Maybe he did it for the uh, apostles' sake so they could see what Jesus was doing. But I believe he probably did it for the man's sake so that the man could know without a shadow of a doubt that it was Jesus who had healed him. And Jesus uh, didn't necessarily have to do it by speaking words. He could do it by touch. But we do see that he does utter a word here in the next verse. Verse 34. Then looking up to heaven, he sighed deeply and said to him, Aphatha, that is, be opened. Now, this is interesting. Not that Jesus said be opened. That's not an, that's not an interesting phrase. Jesus spoke very simply, and what he spoke occurred. The deaf man's ears were opened and his mouth was open that he could speak clearly now. But the fact that Mark uses the word aphatha here is something that's interesting, uh, just simply because in several points in the New Testament, we sometimes see Aramaic word uh, Aramaic words used, and aphatha is an Aramaic word. Now Jesus probably spoke Aramaic. He's probably spoke Hebrew. He probably spoke Greek. He probably spoke all of those. That would have been normal in that time because all of those language were languages were there in the region. The fact that you may be saying, well, why does it say aphatha there? Or why does it say Eli, Eli, lemus abachthani when Jesus is on the cross? Why are there some occasions where Aramaic words are used? When Jesus says Abba, Father, maybe you've seen that word, Abba. There are a few occasions in the New Testament that the writers record what Jesus said and they leave the Aramaic in there as opposed to translating it like all of the rest of the things we see. The original Aramaic word is left, and then we have an explanation of what that word meant. Now, maybe there's a reason for that. I don't know what the reason for that. If you ask me, uh, why does it say aphatha there? Well, I can't answer that. If you ask me what it means, well, Mark tells us that. It means be open. Uh, it is interesting, though, that sometimes when you read the words of Jesus, you will see that the Aramaic is used there. So if you ever see those words, you'll know uh, what those few are, which I've told you most of them. I don't think there's but one more, but I can't recall what that is off the top of my head. And so here we see Jesus speak this word, and he says to be open. Immediately his ears were open, his speech difficulty was removed, and he began to speak clearly. Then he ordered them to tell no one. But the more he would order them, the more they would proclaim it. Now, this is, again, not uncommon. We've seen Jesus do that. He heals people, and he says, look, don't make a big deal about this. Keep this quiet. Of course, what do we always see? The people make a big deal out of it. They cannot be quiet. He cannot be quiet because he's been changed, because he's gone from one who was deaf, who couldn't hear, one who was he couldn't speak. He's gone from one whose life was really tough before this point to all of a sudden he's been touched by Jesus, and now his life has been changed. Now he cannot help but proclaim what Jesus has done. And it says in the next verse, they were extremely astonished and said, look, he does everything well. Now, this is good for us to consider right here. Because think about the shape that we're in apart from Jesus. Well, we're not any better than this woman and this man in this story. We are dogs in the sense that we are sinners. We're not really anything special. We haven't really done anything to deserve God's love. I mean, we lie, we cheat, we steal. I mean, we're just evil people. We just do bad stuff. And we might not like to think of ourselves as dogs, but boy, that might be a good word to describe us. We're, we're, we're deaf apart from Jesus Christ. We can't hear the truth. 
We can't speak truth. We're just running our mouth saying a bunch of worldly stuff. Apart from Jesus Christ, we are just dogs that are deaf, that, that, that don't really know what's going on, just trying to make sense of it. But here we have an example of two people, both of which came to Jesus and both of which were healed because they had the faith to believe in Jesus. And once they were healed, boy, they were praising Jesus as a result of it. And that is the same for you and I or should be. We need to recognize, look, apart from Jesus Christ, we are sinners. And we're blinded to the truth. We can't hear the truth. Jesus said that of the Pharisees and scribes in Matthew's chapter, Matthew chapter 15 account. He says, look, he says they are the blind leading the blind. And if the blind lead the blind, then they'll fall into the pit together. Now, that's what Jesus, the words he used to describe the Pharisees. They didn't know any better. They were just walking around trying to get by, and he knew that they were going to end up in a bad place as a result of that. And here we see just the opposite in these, work, in, in these verses that we look at today. We see people who are not blind people, but we see people whose eyes have been opened. This woman knew enough about Jesus to know that he was the Lord. This, this woman had enough faith in Jesus to come to him and be persistent to say, Lord, but I know you can take care of me. If you can just give me the crumbs, Lord, I know that'll be enough to meet my need. Here we have a deaf man who can't hear, doesn't know what's going on, and even his ears are open and his mouth is open. And the same is true for you and I. When we come to Jesus Christ and we say, Lord Jesus, man, I don't deserve to come into your presence, but if I could just kneel down at, your, at the bottom of your table, dear Lord, if I could just get a little bit of crumbs, dear Lord, I'd be okay. But praise the Lord, the blood of Jesus Christ covers us. Praise the Lord that when we come to Jesus Christ, He doesn't give us crumbs. He gives us the, he gives us the feast of His love. He gives, us, he gives us everything that we could ever need. He gives us an eternity with Him. And this woman got that, and this man experienced that. And when he was brought to Jesus, Jesus changed his life because he opened his ears where he could hear. And Jesus does the same for us. When we come to him and we bring our sins before him and say, Lord Jesus, forgive me. I put my faith in you. Jesus, open our eyes so we can see, so that we are not blind people wandering around. He opens our ears so we can hear, so we can hear the Word of God, so we can see what God says to us. And when we come to Jesus, boy, He makes us free. He gives us a new lease on life where we can live like we've never lived before. This deaf man probably didn't have a very good quality of life not being able to hear or speak. And can you imagine what it must have been like for him? He was a new man. He could hear now. He could speak now. And he could not help but proclaim that Jesus Christ had changed his life. And that's what we should be like. When we come to Jesus Christ, we need not forget. Maybe we do forget, especially if you've walked with the Lord for a long time. Maybe you forget exactly how much you were forgiven for, exactly how good Jesus Christ is, exactly how much he loves you. And maybe we need to remember those things. And we need to be more like this man and proclaim what Jesus Christ has done in our life. That we have been delivered, that we have been made new, and now we can hear and see and we know the truth. And let us rejoice in that truth and proclaim that truth. Let's pray. Father God, we come to you this morning. I thank you for these good words and I pray that we learn from them. God, I pray that we would not be like the Pharisees and scribes that hear your word and, and get offended by it and, and don't ever do anything, dear Lord. But we'd be more like this old Gentile woman, this old dog, dear Lord, 
that knew enough about you to know that you were the Lord, that knew enough about you to know that, God, just a, a little bit of your presence would, would deliver her child. And, 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 God, I pray that you would help us to have that kind of faith, dear Lord, in you today. God, I pray that you would just help us to have our ears open and our eyes open. Maybe there are some who have never put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. I pray that the Holy Spirit is opening ears and opening eyes today, dear Lord, spiritual ears and eyes, that they can hear you and see you. And dear Lord, I pray that if our ears and eyes have been opened, that we rejoice in that and that we proclaim uh, that good news to all that we see. And God, I pray that if there's one that hasn't put their faith in you today, dear Lord, that they would come to you today, that they would recognize you as Lord, and they would have faith like this woman we read about. And I ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.